Hello and welcome to episode 6 of The Thirst Time. Now if you've listened from episode 1, thank you so much for sticking with it. It's been a bit of a learning curve but also a lot of fun to do this and I've learned a whole bunch along the way. There's no pre-done questions on the first time, it's just a free-form conversation, starting at that first beer that changed everything, for some of our friends and creative minds in the industry today. And I think that that has led to some really interesting points that maybe haven't been picked up before. Uh, Personally, I've found it super enlightening and incredibly fascinating to hear these stories firsthand, and I hope you guys have too. So, today's episode... Today's guest is co-founder of Verdant Brewing from Falmouth, Adam Robertson. Now, if you're into beer, which I imagine a lot of you are, then you will know these guys very, very well, as they have been leading the IPA charge since not long after their inception, around six or so years ago. But the story I really wanted to hone in on with this episode was the fact that in a relatively short amount of time, they've gone from cooking up homebrew on a kitchen stove to moving into a new multi-million pound brewery, all on the back of the incredible beer that they produce. Now, I don't think the entrepreneurial side of brewing really gets its dues, but I couldn't have think of a better story than Verdant's to really highlight the highs and lows that come with the transitions of a rapidly growing business. One of the big takeaways I've got from this podcast is that there are no accidents. It's dedication, focus and mastering your craft that really set you apart from the crowd. And that is all in the Verdant story in abundance. So, episode 6. Let's get to it. We start with that all-important question. What was that first beer for him? It's a tough question, Steph, I'll be honest. Um... I don't think I know what it was, but I know where I was drinking it. So in my previous life as a designer, I used to go to New York once a year Mm -hmm. for a conference. And I just remember drinking hoppy beers in New York. I remember being able to get Lagunitas IPA, almost as if it was just standard pub beer. Yeah. And going into bars and drinking it and just being like, oh, this is... This is the beer that I'm enjoying. And it, it did blow my mind. Um, and then returning to the UK, searching it out, I'd say Pressure Drop was the, was the brewery that really got me into it in the UK with Pellfire and Bosco. I remember falling in love with Bosco. First double IPA I'd ever had. Wow. Like, wow. Yeah. And that's like a proper West Coasty big double IPA. Yeah. I mean, Pressure Drop is so... You know, they're kind of like these unsung heroes. They were like, again, the same. I remember drinking Pale Fire and just being blown away and Wu Gang chops, chops a tree and stuff like that. And that was, it's so funny because that's, uh, uh, you know, the brewery that they were doing all that in is now the experiment, which you guys share. Yeah, absolutely. And what an amazing job they've done in that transition to the bigger yeah. site. Because um, I don't know, there was a time when they kind of dropped off the radar. Totally. And then when they came back with the new site, it was phenomenal. And the beers they're producing now are amazing. Uh, yeah, like some of the best hoppy beers that I've had this year have been from those guys. Um, yeah. And they're a lovely bunch as well. So it's like, it makes all the yeah, difference. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> they're, your, they're your business partners now, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, they are, yeah, they are a great bunch. When you do go to the experiment as well and you realize like how small that first site was and that, 
I think yeah, when, I, when, when I went down there, their tanks were still in there and you're just like, shit, man. Like it was just such a small operation. So crowded. I remember following their kind of their upscale from the Braumeister because they brewed in a Braumeister for yeah. like a year, year and a half. And I remember what me and James watched their, that site being made on their website. They sort of documented it. And it was like, wow, look at that floor they're putting in. That's what we need to do in the, the next unit we get is a raised floor with these little drains. <laughs> the dreams that you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, we, have, we have many dreams. Yeah, they feel like a good point to start with because but I really wanted to use this episode to kind of like highlight the entrepreneurial side of beer, which isn't really, it's kind of crazy, man. Like we're all kind of just chilled out people who you know matt our head brewer is just brewing beer in his basement and is now yeah you know producing thousands of liters and you guys you know you started on a tiny little homebrew kit and yeah and your new site how much can can we say how much the fit out was for that or uh we can say it was multiple millions yeah <laughs> which is you know and i don't think it's really talked about that much in this industry but like it's an it's an incredible business acumen that leads breweries to be able to progress from from in a what's that five years or something five six years it is five five years proper yeah we sort of started a year before so it's been six years we've been doing it 2014 yeah we re- we registered the business and I think in any of the business, like any other walk of life, like a six year from something in the thousands to the millions is huge. Um, yeah. so, if, so if you could take us on a little guided journey uh, of what it was like, the, those starting points where you and James even had your initial kind of meeting, because it was you guys who started it, wasn't it? Yes. And um, how did it start? It was so... It was the trips to America when I sort of started getting into the hoppy beers. The conversations I was having with people was about homebrewing in mm-hmm. America. And they just spoke about homebrewing as if you could produce beer, sort of pub quality beer, like production quality beer at home. And I'd always, in my head, thought of homebrew as being pretty wrong. <laughs> the stuff I've tried has been pretty wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So it, it was kind of, okay, I'm going to give this a go. Um, and I came back and I sort of started investigating it. And I generally just produced some very poor beer, which led me to doing more and more geeking research, living on forums and figuring out how to brew. And then just realized, I didn't really know James too well, but we played football together. So every Wednesday, I'd see him. And he just dropped into a conversation that he was homebrewing. Oh, wow. And, and I said, so, well, I was doing it as well. So we just started doing it together. And what, so what, what was that first kind of like meeting and brewing together? Was that at his house or your? your that was in my, in my basement at my old house. And it was just in a cool box with a burner. It was literally a proper like first home brew. Um, and it was bad, but <laughs> we, we did it. And then James started brewing at home more and more on his stove doing sort of partial mash stuff and he got very good at it quite quickly and yeah so then we started brewing at his house 
And that, that was the first beer we ever took. I think I can find a photo of it somewhere. There are photos of, of that brew day. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, we've got an old Tumblr account, which goes documents like from the start. Whoa. And um, it's still up there somewhere. I should post that link out one day. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, that he, he was trying to do a Pliny clone, typically, like everyone was at the mm-hmm. time. And we did that. Humulus Lupulus Maximus, it was called, and bottled it. And that was the first beer we ever took up to Bristol to sort of show our, uh, make ourselves, you know, make people aware of us. Yeah. And we, we just got in front of Jack at Small Bar and he was looking at us like, oh God, <laughs> I'm going to have to try this, aren't I? <laughs> He's a very polite man, so I guess he, he is. He's... Yeah. He actually just put it in the fridge and said, thank you. <laughs> and we went away, had had a couple more beers, and then went back and went, were you going to drink it then? And made him drink it right there and then. And I think he really enjoyed it. Wow. And that and that's kind of how it started. Jack and Bruce started buying pretty much all of our production. Wait, so, because that sounds like a really, really small setup that you were just kind of Absolutely, talking that about. That was no setup. That was no right. setup. Whatsoever. So that was literally just like, I don't know, 20 bottles at a time or, or like 100 yeah, bottles at a time. exactly or that. But um, off the back of that, James and I decided to throw some money in personally. Mm-hmm. So we put, I can't remember how much we put in. I think we put in 15 grand each. Did that feel like a really risky thing or did it just feel oh, like... mate, I was, yeah, I didn't have 15 grand. I don't yeah. remember how I got I think I'm still paying it back now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was really risky, and um, we put an order in for a, a one-barrel kit with Elite Stainless. We bought a lot of hops, which we um, we had to bag up on my living room table into sort of two hundred gram bags. I, think we had... I bet people, if they saw you through the window, it would look slightly uh, conspicuous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the time we were in the shipping container. And I remember having this massive box of bagged up hops, which obviously looked like weed. And there was a woman up filling her shipping container with stuff. And I just said to James, watch this. And I accidentally tripped and dropped them all over the floor. And her face was a picture. (laughs) (laughs) And then you raided the next day. Yeah. No, it's good. There's no, there's no police in Cornwall. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's all good. So the, the shipping container became that first space for you guys to produce, yeah. like yeah. A, a production, I say a production very lightly. We didn't, uh, it was very, we didn't produce really anything to sell. We basically brewed in there for six months, once a week, brewing the same beer, but with different hops. So we did about maybe 30 single hop pale ales. Wow. Just trying to learn the flavor of the hops that we enjoyed and utilizing those hops and changing things. So it was brewing once a week and then bottling once a week. And we all had day jobs. So we used to meet there at about 10 in the evening and just bottle through till two in the morning. And that's just you and James or like any friends that you could kind of gather to, to give you a little hand yeah, for a few beers. exactly that. And then, well, Rich at that point had done the electrics for the shipping container so he was kind of still hanging around 
because he was well into the idea, he enjoyed what we were doing. And then at that point, we invited him to, to come on board. So he threw some money in and became a partner. So that's, so that's, that's the three of us. Yeah, and that is the core of Verdant right there. So James, yeah, you and Rich. Yeah. And I think, again, sometimes things just come together in a way that, that everything harmonizes and everyone has a different skill set that can bring yes. and move a project forward. So you've got James, who was a chef, wasn't he, before? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. And then and you, he, who, who had a design background. And yep. then Rich, who was an electrician. So you've got like the engineering, the like yep. food and the design. So you've got a perfect kind of core team of people there to build something from. And the three of us are equally as anally retentive <laughs> in our respective fields. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, yeah, Rich was perfect. He was just a perfectionist at what yep. he did. You made, you made the shipping container look beautiful. Yeah, and and again, that's a huge... If you have no skill in that side of things, that you really... There's a big amount of outlay and money that is gonna, you're going to have to invest in electrics yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So to have a yeah. partner come on board who could take that kind of side of things. And did that feel... Were you kind of like bristling with excitement when Rich came on or was it still feel like a huge gamble? It was still a gamble. So we were all still working. And then I think... When we, we moved out, no, we didn't move out the shipping container. We moved the shipping container to another site. So the same yard, but we moved it over because he had a little workshop next door and we were using that as well. What did we do at that point? Yeah, that was it. So we had the, the hot liquor in the mash tun from Homebrew Builder, a kettle from Elite Stainless, and we got Elite to build us six um, fermenters as well. And what kind of size is that, like fermenters-wise? So that was all one ba- one barrel. One barrel, yeah. Yeah, so 160 litre-ish. And that's when we moved to um, a sort of slightly bigger unit. And we did that out. The kit arrived. And that's when we all what then went down to, we dropped a day a week in our day jobs. Mm-hmm. And it was a different day. So one of us would go in and brew. And we were brewing twice a week and packaging once a week on that and space. You- and that's... That's when Bruce picked us up. And so, you, okay, so you kind of got into like a little bit of a production kind of. Yeah. Uh, 12, 12 cakes a month. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, so... it must have been more than that. It was probably six cakes a week, maybe. Oh. And we were force carving. We made a big chest freezer and all the kegs, we filled them. The kegs went in there, they got coupled and we forced carved them through the into the keg and all of these processes are you just like looking online and trying to find out ways of like like say carbonate in your beer all of these things yeah yeah but it's a proper trial and error approach yeah absolutely and the amount of work that you're probably putting in to get six kegs a week is yeah phenomenal and then i drove them to bristol fuck So for anyone that doesn't know, if you've been sleeping under a rock, Verdant are based in Falmouth, which is basically the end of the the world yeah. in Cornwall. Yeah. So there is no quick drive to anywhere from there. Uh, so Bruce was just it, it had basically said, whatever you produce, I'll sell. Well, at the time he had distribution. Oh, he was course, running yeah. big running big beer. So yeah, we would just put a pallet of beer together for him. And um, obviously we'd send that on a truck. 
but if there was anything going i i was lucky i was working a lot in bristol anyway mm-hmm. but um so i drive beer up to bruce and a couple of other local pubs but yeah bruce took us on as our first wholesaler and how were you we, feeling about the actual product we were only doing two beers at that time it was headband and light bulb and that was it so we were wow. just kind of rotating through those we did a few sort of experimental stuff but mainly yeah it was just headband and headband pretty much became a so popular at small bar that they were literally buying it off us and just keeping it for small bar they weren't distributing it so <sighs> it's uh i love like this again this podcast has been so cool to just dive into the the nooks and crannies of like people's journeys because i can <laughs> i can almost like feel you guys working so hard and being distracted yes. at work trying to think about uh recipe development and how you're going to push forward um so when was yeah. the, so you'd all invested you know quite a considerable yeah. sum um yeah. what was that next so you, you'd obviously built up a little bit of distribution um you weren't really packaging in can or anything like that at that time. So it was purely well, anyone. You say that. We had someone come. <laughs> we did use a really dodgy service twice. Yeah. Well, this guy rocked up with a van and he could can from keg. Okay. By hand. One. Wow. <laughs> Two. So yeah, we, we did that twice and yeah, it wasn't. Did they all come out like brown ales oh, in the couple yeah, of days? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. So we put a stop to that. The next kind of little jump, What? when did that come? So from that point, obviously, we knew that we, we could sell more beer. Mm-hmm. And um, we had no money. So I, I literally used my design skills, built a web page. That was like a crowdfunder. Um, plugged Stripe into it and emailed it out to all our friends and family and said we're looking to raise some money to expand the brewery, and raised a hundred k. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, it was bonkers, absolutely bonkers. It blew us away. So then that started a, a mad hunt for a new building, and that's when the blue building that we've just left came up, and we moved into there bought another kit off of elite so we bought the 10 barrel kit from elite with six dish bottom fermenters pretty much just to mirror what we've been doing for the past year and a half so we knew we could make the beer that we liked on that sort of kit obviously everything you read always says when you expand go as big as you possibly can because you don't want to expand again yeah but we didn't do that we didn't listen (laughs) So we got the six fermenters, and I remember the day they went in, and we bought two bright tanks as well. So again, Rich went in there. Rich built the control panel for the brewery. Rich plumbed the brewery in, the chiller, the cooling system. He did everything. And we got in there, and we filled the six fermenters in a week. I said, okay, we've got a couple of weeks now to let them ferment out. Played table tennis for a week. Um, (laughs) Because we had a tap room at that point. Really? Yeah, half the brewery was a tap room. Oh, cool. And we had had a bar and a cold store. 
And um, yeah, we used to do some half decent little events in there. So were people starting to like you could feel ears kind of pricking up a little bit and and people being drawn into something that they... absolutely yeah. So and again, is this still just on headband and light bulb kind of style, or, or do you? I think we had bloom and pulp at this point as well. Yeah, so we had the the four core beers. And for a lot of people, you know, they will associate you with the best or some of the best like hazy east coast kind of double ipas but those beers are pretty west coast in origin they're like absolutely like, yeah. like much more bitterness uh like dry yeast like so a little bit more dryness on the palate yeah. and none of the kind of big soupy haze that no. that you've uh kind of synonymous with now um so where where was so yeah you you started brewing some different ipas well, it was that kind. Of, we always wanted to do the the New England style beer. Yeah, but it was all out of necessity. We only had dish bottom fermenters, so mm-hmm. we were we couldn't use, reuse yeast. So we were only using O five at the point time. Same same as us. Yeah, so that that's how those beers came out, and it was, you know, I still really like those beers now. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the the latest batch of light bulb off the new kit it's just like oh it's yeah yeah we've tried that yesterday um, so yeah those beers just were what they were and we always wanted to start doing more new england stuff but just didn't have the the kit but yeah moving to that new blue site filled six fermenters and then waited and you know we packaged all that beer i think we were using we can at the time so they were coming in canning kegging and it just sold out and we okay we'll just go again and that sort of continued for six months and we literally just started buying more fermenters and straight we, away that's when we, yeah and that's when we started buying the conicals and started uh trialing the wet yeast the uh la3 and what was james kind of methodology uh was he just geeking out online and just uh, he, diving? he hasn't stopped that's yeah. all he does yeah. <laughs> It's he is yeah he is a constant strive for perfection yeah and I love yeah. it we're we're really lucky to have that well it's inc- I think I think yeah I mean all of you guys it's this kind of and to be fair just a lot of the brewing industry is you meet and have a beer and everyone is super chilled out like James is yeah. so chilled out when you but then underneath it is an absolute dedication to the craft yeah um, yeah and because. James especially is kind of like disarmingly just like you can't he's quite pottering around and you just and then he's but he's a total <laughs> genius of like brewing. Yeah, yeah yeah I mean those but, first those first like I mean you guys and and the New England IPAs were just nothing like anyone else was doing over here really apart from maybe Daya uh, and definitely Daya and, and Cloudwater Cloud Cloud was starting to yeah to knock those things out so yeah, take series. us into. I think we hit the good time, didn't we? We yeah. kind of hit the stride at a very good point. Well, I had the conversation with Theo for episode three, and he was saying that he really felt that that time was a big wave of you know new breweries coming through in a real kind yeah. of moment, and that's kind of when we were beginning as well. And it definitely right. felt like a swell of like excitement and new bars opening up and more people getting engaged with the product, but it still felt very small but so much yeah. more so much room to expand into um 
super buzzy, right? Yeah. At that time. Yeah. And it feels like I can, again, going over this story, it feels like it's just snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. Yeah. So at this point, are you all full-time at the brewery? No. At this point, um, so when we took the building on, I was full-time and Rich was full-time. James was not. Mm -hmm. And then when we got the brewery finished and Richard finished the install, that's when James quit his job full-time. So I'm trying to remember when that was. That must have been about November 2016. 17 2017 yeah so then that's the three of us then full-time in verdant and tell and what was that because i i wonder was there a moment when the one of the beers came out the tank like the first kind of maybe like super hazy one that you did that you were just like holy shit there it is we've done it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i think so i think we'd we'd always we did a beer in the old site called Headband Milkshake, and it wasn't a milkshake uh, sort of beer, as in lactose. Mm-hmm. It was just really thick. We used a, a one-off pitch of, I don't know if it was London now, I can't remember what yeast it was, but it came out super thick and juicy. So we'd always had that earmarked as the beer to try again on the new kit, and we did it, and it came out, and it was okay. Yeah. It was all right. And then, yeah, we just kept plodding away at trying to nail that style without using anything but, yeah, the the raw ingredients that are given to us. That's James's kind of thing, really. He gets so much satisfaction from buying raw ingredients and turning them into a a, a product. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And again, I think on another episode, I mentioned it, that the people, I think, some of the best brewers I've I've ever met and beers that I most enjoy generally come from like a culinary background because they just understand yeah. flavor and like you say, raw products and how to extract flavor. Maybe in a just yeah. a different way that you get from say, if you went to, you know, a, a, a brewing school or reading the books, like you said earlier, I can't remember what it was, but you were just saying that if you read it in the books, then it would say to do it differently, but it would. But, yeah, absolutely. Or it wouldn't tell you how to do it for you it would tell you how to do it but you you i think with us we've always we always known what we want the beer to be like Mm -hmm. and the book won't tell you that yeah to to play and and try and the relatively you know like brewing literature is probably pretty old like a lot of it that people uh read and these these styles are kind of newish to be to be fair i think that's very true and and uh, still you know there's brewers out there that would say that it's a style that shouldn't exist probably (laughs) (laughs) so what so can you i know i keep keep kind of like trying to peg you on this but was the one beer that you you remember really like taking your breath away with just like yeah or was it just kind of just slow like just incremental changes that were just getting better and better see i think they they can all still get better now Mm -hmm. um but back then when we were brewing in that site I think the beers that we took to Hop City were always the kind of the ones that we really put a lot into. Hop City became like the the kind of showground for for us at yep. least. So um you know sharks 
was launched at Hop City. Putty was launched at Hop City. That's the one. Um, yeah. Um, Fruit Car was Hop City. So, you know, all these big beers were, were beers that we brewed for that festival. Okay. And I think those still stick with me in my head. Well, put it, I think the first time I actually met you, Adam, was at Hop City and you handed right. me you handed me a glass of putty and you said, we're never going to brew this beer again. <laughs> because and i the, meant it <laughs> yeah because the uh and i remember drinking it and it was just like this kind of mango juice beautiful yeah. like so soft no bitterness i thought it, it, it yeah it took my breath away of just just how upfront fruity it was um so yeah let's so do you, it was a big beer. It was a big beer. So can you go into yeah. like the process of brewing that a little bit? Not like super detailed, but just the kind of atmosphere around it when you were trying to produce it. I think, well, the atmosphere was always a, like, the beer needed to be as fruity, thick, mouth-filled, but soft. You know, it was trying to be the the verdant style that we've been going for mm-hmm. for all those years and it had some galaxy in it which was i think we were using a lot of at the time so i think it, it was literally just let's go big it was the biggest dry hop we'd ever done um i don't think we've ever done anything bigger since <laughs> i don't think we need to i don't know we've got a, a hop utilization thing we don't really go above a certain level yeah, but I think Putty was above that at the time. I think it's been brought back over the previous sort of years. Mm-hmm. But for us at the time, I think we were hugely focused on mouthfeel and that feeling in the mouth of soft, juicy, ripe, kind of pulpy, fleshy, and not overly sweet, but still a bit of bitterness. We always wanted that nice bitter finish. Never been a fan of too sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, that was what we were... James spent, I think, that whole year working on water, water profiles. I mean, this is it. I, and I've, I definitely find myself repeating this all the time, but, like, how simple, in theory, beer is, as in, like, the principal ingredients, but, like, water yeah. alone, you can lose a year... To, well, years and years to, probably. Absolutely, of, yeah. And I think research. Probably, you know, it's always a fear when we move site when we found out that we were getting the water from the same place, that was a relief. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think water's, you know, it's a massive part of the brewery. I remember James getting me one day in the brewery and he would probably have had a bottle of Sierra Nevada pale, just something sort of base pale ale, pouring it into glasses and then putting sulfate into it at different levels i'm uh, trying to uh, get me to try beer with this <laughs> I'm like, wow, what are we doing here and he's like, yeah, in each there. bottle yeah yeah he used to do that a lot he used to put hot pellets into beers i remember asking you about that because i remember yeah. you you identified like a kind of i i remember it vividly that it was an equilibrium beer and you were like that's got denali in it hasn't it and uh, it was uh Oh, I've forgotten his name now. Um, 
and he was like, how did you get that? Like, cause it's just like an underlying characteristic. And I, I, yeah. I remember asking you about it cause, cause I'm not a brewer, but I just want as much detail and information and the best possible palette I can get. Yeah. And I remember asking you about like how you kind of did your almost like, yeah, palette training, I guess. Yeah. And I remember did, you telling yeah, me about that. We used to do that quite a lot, especially in the early days. So you would just buy a 12 pack of box standard pails, crack them, put some hot pellets in, put the cap back on, back in the freezer, leave it for a day, and then come back to it and try it. <laughs> and you, and just just pick out the different characteristics yeah, that have come exactly, along with it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So sort of single hop a, a lager or something and pick out all the hop flavours. Yeah. But, you know, well, Denali is, a, is an easy one. To yeah, it's pretty pokey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. we, we did a... We did a a single hop with it and it was uh it wasn't the best beer we've ever produced let's put it that way it's a bloody mary yeah it's i did have a guy come up to me and be like that single hop denali beer was like my favorite beer that you've ever done and i was like wow you, <laughs> yeah. you have a very specific taste that you like um yeah. so yeah i mean again for like consumers it's kind of Maybe they don't see that side of it, but yeah, something like Hop City, we were the same where it's just like you want to put everything you can into those beers because that that is a showcase of yeah. the best talent that's that's going. And also it's a showcase of hops, which is what your inverted yeah. is built on. Yeah, exactly. You know, these, these hoppy beers. So what kind of beers were you drinking? Uh, were you getting a lot of like American stuff over to kind of like compare to or or was it just... You, the stuff you drank in New York still? Um, we tried to get American stuff over. We used to do a lot of trading with a few sort of fans, some of the guys that could get the American stuff. So we're getting a lot of Treehouse, um, Trillium. Didn't really get much of the New York stuff. Mainly those guys, really. Some monkeys, and you just pull it, yeah, just pulling them apart for like the, all their component parts to try and yeah, exactly. see how they were getting those mouthfeels. And I think we got to a point where we realized that it was probably quite a bad thing to try and emulate mm-hmm. in the sense that it's just completely different components in those beers. The hops they get are very different. Yep. Their water is very different. By the time we get them, they're probably a little bit old. So, yeah, we, we kind of just started enjoying them rather than pulling them apart. And I don't know, let me think, like, Alchemist stuff, the first time I tried Heady, it just wasn't the beer I was expecting. Yeah. Absolutely adored it, loved it, along with Focal Banger, but just not the beer I was expecting. So, yeah, a lot of those kind of moments and realizations through getting beers over from the States. And then just trying to get beers from all the other breweries in the UK. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was hard. Like, we didn't really know anyone at those breweries at the time. And there weren't just 500 online shops where you could just go and buy it. No. So, yeah, it was tricky. Yeah, it was, again, when I described it with Theo, it's like that first wave. And no, like you say, tap rooms weren't really a big thing. Like no. online shops weren't really a big thing. It was just draft lines and then yeah your bottle shops if you could get some cans out and stuff um yeah but i do remember you guys kind of just setting the whole scene alight like with those with those hazy ipas it just it was game changing i think I, again you day you day and 
uh, Cloudwater were kind of just. Yeah, I think the the series that Cloudwater did were brilliant. Yeah, I think that opened a lot of people's eyes to that style of beer. Yeah, and then I think for ourselves, when we collabed with Daya on High Plains Drifter, I think that was a big moment. And then Putty, I think Putty was probably when we redid Putty the following year. That. That was that blew our tiny minds with the amount of beer that, <laughs> that the website was selling. It was yeah. crazy, absolutely well, crazy. If you also think of like that hop city when you were serving putty, the consumers that were drinking the beers at that time, their palates were totally different to like they are now. Like yeah. now, there's just a huge amount of there's there's some really great UK breweries and European breweries that are producing some of the best IPAs in the world and stuff. But at that time. There wasn't really. No, no, I don't think. I think it was a very small handful. Yeah. That there, and there was a lot of people doing it not so well. And I think now, three, four years on, I think there are a lot of breweries doing it really well. Mm-hmm. Really, really well, actually. And um, we're blessed with that, I think. That's yeah. A good it, thing for the, for the scene, because it does mean also that people start looking for new styles. And that's exciting. So, you know, I, I would have said a year ago, two years ago, most commentators on the beer scene would be saying, when will this fad end? See, dive into that a little bit, because like the, the New England IPA has been seen as a fad beer. Yeah. yeah. And like this thing that's just like, oh, one day it'll die out. And people say, it's never going to die out. Like it's, it's it, it, every kind of like, part of human evolution has aimed it to enjoy fruity <laughs> yeah. kind of low yeah. bitterness flavors um yeah and i think i spoke to sam on another episode about like how it got tagged with this kind of like easy brewing yeah side of things yeah that that was lack quite of technique and it's just yeah. it's 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 just not true for one and and you guys kind of show that through that journey and how much you were putting into it and dedication you were putting into it it's no yeah. accident that how good your beers were. No, that, no, I think that's really important. Is there's no accident. It takes a lot of time and effort and energy and skill to make a beer as good as it possibly can be, regardless of any style. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a perfectionist and make a great beer, it's going to take skill. And I think it was evident back at the time that there are a lot of bad new england beers around yeah and you could get a really bad one and i'm not sure but i think maybe a lot of people had only had the bad ones and thought that was the style and it was a kind of love it or hate it and maybe it's it's not nuanced enough generally it's quite a bolshy beer yeah big in your face it's not a delicate nuanced kind of palette like saison or something like that yeah exactly so people either love it or hate it but I, th- I, th- I personally love it, but you know I mean, it's not the only thing I drink. It's not, yeah. <laughs> I like a lot of other beers as well. So, yeah. It's yeah. just, uh, they're just, yeah, they're, they're so great. And the, the, the aesthetic of them is just beautiful oh, as well. And like yeah. when sharks yeah. came out and it was just like that milky yellowy yeah. white color. And when you see yeah. it in a glass, you're just like, there's just no way I'm not going to. And they, uh, yeah, Theo was saying that 
he what kind of started attracting people to their tap room was he was just putting up photos of hazy beer and people were like whoa what is that <laughs> yeah i need to try that i need to chew some of that yeah um so yeah. so that kind of brings you to so you're about three years in there to to the brewing uh yeah it was we stayed in the blue building for just over three years right and that that was the three years was november last year okay so yeah now we've moved to unit 30 well unit six i should probably finish the journey there so we filled it with more fermenters Mm -hmm. bought our own canning line ripped the tap room out for more fermenters which we actually rented um and bought two double size fermenters well that kit's still still over there if anybody wants to buy yeah (laughs) anyone can move to (laughs) move to falmouth and take over Yeah. yeah so i don't want to interrupt for too long this is such a linear trajectory and i think it just carries such an excitement through the whole story but we have to talk about the thing that binds it all together, which is the beer. Verdant's beer is and was one of the most exciting beers in the UK beer scene, and people really, really responded to it. And for good reason, it is incredible. So we dig in a little bit here to line culture in America, whether that could be brought over to the UK and whether Verdant could have done that if they weren't right in the sticks of Cornwall down in Falmouth so yeah let's get into it you are listening to Track Brewing Co presents the first time and this is our interview with Adam Robertson it's like a queuing culture in America that we've kind of no one's really emulated over here to the same degree but I think that maybe if you were situated somewhere slightly different to Falmouth if you were maybe in a major city that I think you would have probably cultivated that because um, I know speaking to bottle shops and stuff when they were getting your products at that time, it was just flying. Yeah. Like people were like ringing him up, asking, I spoke to Elliot who has all good beer in, uh, in London. And I remember him saying that people would just be queuing, waiting for the drop. Um, wow. And, yeah, that's, and that's the kind of excitement though, that was there because it was kind of new to people and it was so good as well. Yeah. I think I, I'm not sure about the queuing culture in the UK. I think America's a, a different beast. You can drive for four days in America and not see a pub. Yeah. So people, you know, when they want, they go and buy four or five cases of beer on a release day. It's because they can't get beer. It's not because it's generally truly a, it's it's great beer. Don't get me wrong, but they're not going because it's like a, a whale that they yeah. can't find it's just going to buy beer but there was um, there was definitely an element of you guys like producing a lot of excitement for drinkers yeah you know, absolutely. It, I, yeah, yeah i don't disagree with that i just think we online is where people are going to do it in the uk yeah i think if we said okay there's a i don't know, actually do you know what? i might be talking nonsense i'm just thinking when we did the, <laughs> the the other half stuff at the experiment People were queuing around the block for those cans. Yeah, they definitely like when we've done yeah. brought some beers over and stuff. It, it's you know it's the modern day kind of I say modern day. It's queuing for your favorite band or something like that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's there's a there's a real level of excitement to it that that um, 
that kind of yeah crosses with the, the music scene i always think um do you think if we didn't sell any beer on our website and just sent it all to the experiment and just said to punters right you can only get it here it would be insane can... it would be absolutely well a hundred percent yeah I, I can't it'd be I, mean I, as well, wouldn't it? It would be very mean. Yeah, be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'd probably be a, it'd probably be I don't know if it would be a nightmare for you guys. Um so yeah, so you kind of that space as well is 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 the blue shed is probably the place people will recognise from the photos and videos you guys have done. Yeah. And that was crammed by the end of it with every every yeah, little bit of space taken yeah. up. And how many people were you kind of picking up along the way through that? Oh man, it was the three of us up until for two and a half years. So by the time, when was it? I'm just trying to think the dates. I think it was January 2018. We took on Arthur. Who was another fan, who was just a fanboy of the brewery. He, he would yeah, say. he lived, yeah. he lived locally. He was a, an, uh, middle management for care homes and he kept facebooking me asking to just come down and do some work <laughs> and then eventually we're like come on then come down and we gave him a trial and he's been ace yeah he was absolutely brilliant and um he quit his job and joined us full time and the same with jim he was a chippy really keen home brewer and he used to come every friday with his home brew and hang out with us and then he came on. Lawrence is a super, super keen home brewer. Yeah. A beer geek extraordinaire. Very lovely and, dude. Yeah, amazing guy. Um, and he, we approached him, actually, when we were looking. Because he had the, I can't remember the name of his Instagram account. But we got in touch and asked him if he was interested. And again, the hazy, he was, hazy Green Giant, isn't it? Is it? That's what he is now. But he had Obviously something far. different back then. Yeah. Um, which I forget, but he was a data inputter at the unit yeah. hospital. Very different to uh, brewing beer yeah. every day. So it, yeah. uh, again, it, it's it's such an exciting story, really. So you've gone from like you and James meeting at a football match, like starting <laughs> a little homebrew thing. Rich yeah. coming on and being like, "Oh, this is pretty cool. I can do electrics." Working your way up, then suddenly you've got a team of, I don't know, six or seven people. Yeah all working for you and it was you guys were knocking it out like at a high pace at that time we were brewing every day at yeah. that site and packaging three times a week so two double brews and a single batch every week and you know you were still i think people can get lost in the idea that you need the best equipment and this that and the other but at that time you were still Paddling your mashes with an oar and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Creating a whirlpool with the oar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that kit saw us so well. To be, do you know what I mean? And I think moving to the new site now and with the kit we've, we have, you know, everyone's going to be saying, oh, you've changed, you've changed. And it's like, of course we've bloody changed. We have to change. Mm-hmm. We've got a, we've got a new brew house and it's very different and the beer's better now. Yeah, I mean it's more professional. It's a a higher quality product. So you know, but we are still learning. Yeah, our way totally across and that. And, so when was the first 
I think I kind of know this, but I wonder if you it'll be the same. When was the first like big bump in the road that you hit where you were just like worried for a little bit? That was the summer of 2018. That's, and what happened? That's infection. Yeah. yeah, we had a yeast infection, exploding cans. Um, so yeah, we did a huge recall. I think it was seven batches had to come back in. And can you, and, I don't know if you want to dive into, but like how much money effectively was that out of the business? I think we got insurance claim in for about 25K. Mm-hmm. I think it co- it cost the business 85. <laughs> yeah. And you've just gonna you you've just been on this upward trajectory that's just like going yeah. everything's going so well. Um and I yeah. think everyone that works in breweries will know this feeling of just you hit something and it just knocks you for six. Yeah. Yeah. And um it was it was horrible. It was horrible honestly. It was like two months of constant communication with people just emailing in saying you've destroyed my kitchen, my living room, my bed. Um, oh. I had to buy somebody a new mattress because no. the father's day box exploded oh. on the bed in the morning when they were, the kids were giving it to him. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's not fun. I laugh now, but it was a terrible, terrible time. So, you know, we never really got to the bottom of where it came from. Mm-hmm. We, we have our suspicions and we did a lot of experiment, but you know, again, it, it pushes us down a road. It was at that point, I think that James was like, right, this can never happen again. So th- this is why we now have our own yeast strain. Yeah. So we, we banked, we got somebody to clean the yeast, banked a strain of it. And now that's all we use is a hundred percent clean. Oh, that's really interesting. So yeah. you, so you, who, who do you use for that? Is that someone? That is the National Yeast Bank, I think, through Murphy's. Wow. I didn't, I, I didn't even know about this kind of side yeah, of things. So I think other people can buy it. It's just called the Verdant Yeast Strain. Everyone's going to be buying that after this. <laughs> 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 Including us. I think like, we need to get I that Verdant Yeast not, yeah. yeah, I think you have to get a signed disclaimer from us. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, but that, again, no one really... You know, the consumer doesn't feel those shocks that happen to a brewery. And and you aren't living on a, a high financial threshold of like loads of money in the bank. It's the, like, a, no. how much is, so one of your like heaviest dry hops, how much do you think that is financially is like an investment into a beer? Into the beer, I'd say it's probably... Currently, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you exactly. <laughs> Precision is way. best. James, James won't shout at me when he listens to this. Basically, what I was trying to get to is just that every beer is such a huge amount of money into that. that Absolutely. To, to take those hits and dry up cash flow is, you know, possibly for some breweries could, could end them. Let's do sharks. Yeah, it, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And hot purchasing is not the the um the most pleasant experience because you have to commit to volumes yeah on a prediction of how much you're going to do next year exactly yeah on a prediction of not having covid jump into your life (laughs) (laughs) yeah so on the new kit if we were to brew fruit car so citra dipper 
the hops would cost about four and a half thousand pounds. Wow. And that's one beer. And how many FVs yeah. did you have at that time? Which would probably take it. Uh, how many FVs? We had 15. 15. So yeah, yeah. you're looking at like 60, my terrible maths, a lot of money's worth of dry hops. And, and if, if your yeah. cash flow dries up, then that is going to be a huge chunk out of that. Um, okay. So we've kind of like rallied through that beginning and then it was just in that p- point, it was just kind of producing as much as you could at the fastest yeah. pace you possibly could. And it was just getting lapped up. There wasn't enough to go around. Um, so when did the plans for the next stage come into play? They were on the table for about a year before, say six months before we did the crowdfund. Right. I guess that, that was in planning for about six months. Um, and at that point, I think we had already started talking to SSV about the brew house and the brewery and, and costing everything up and trying to figure out what it was going to cost us. So, yeah, and that's the point we, we realized we needed to go out and raise more funds and crowdfunding seemed the best way to do that. And it mm-hmm. was, do you know I mean, don't get me wrong. It was so successful and uh we're thankful for everyone that put their hand in their pocket and dropped some cash so that that blew us away but at the time it seemed quite a popular way of raising for breweries yeah i mean was it not northern monk had done theirs and absolutely yeah hadn't it and then i don't know who really did i think yours wasn't that long after that was it oh yeah bruce lhg before us they smashed through it yeah i think wilds did it before us right smashed it um, there's been a few sort of negative stories about breweries not doing what they said they do with the, the money. Totally. Rate. And and yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, the crowdfunding aspect is that everyone expects it to work and th- that they will, you know, have a return. But any investment is inherently risky in whatever you do. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, you guys had honed your skills. And again, if you could give us a little bit of back background on a crowdfund, because... It's great having so many people investing and you just the money comes in and stuff like that. But there is so much work that goes into those pitches Absolutely, and also yeah. the level of communication you're having to have with people behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So was that like a super stressful time for you guys? And you did a tour of every bar in <laughs> up and down the country. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't so stressful, I don't think. It it was stressful when you go live. It's when you push the button and you go live. Yeah. And you find yourself locked into this rhythm of constantly refreshing to see what the total is every 30 seconds. Because <laughs> um, it is so nerve-wracking. And, you know, if you, if you don't do this, I don't think we really had a plan B at the time. Yeah. It wasn't like, okay, if this doesn't work out, we'll, we'll go down this road. We were banked on this happening yeah the amount that you needed was not being able to email your relatives again and uh yeah well we you know we wanted to raise a million that was mm-hmm. what we wanted to raise and we, we put our first stretch at half a mil we had plans that if we didn't get to the million we would have a different sort of brewery yeah plan b so we, yeah so we started on the half mil hit that relatively quick and it was it was so typical of you know crowdfund funder or fund crowdcube 
are very good at sort of training you and teaching and telling you how it will go. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much bang on that. The journey they told us it would take was exactly what we felt. It would dip off at this point and then climb again and you'll have a strong finish. So all that stuff happened. But what you don't realize is that when it's all over and everyone's WhatsApping you saying, congratulations, well done. It's another six months yeah. of really hard work before you, you get to see that reward and you've got everyone on board. I think naively I didn't realize how much work would have needed to go into getting that many shareholders on board. Yeah. In a business, probably I don't know why I hadn't considered that, but yeah, that's a lot of work. Um luckily I had friends that had done it, so often sort of rang people who've been through it. How did you do this? How did you manage this part of it? And everyone's so open and helpful that yeah, that was a godsend. So yeah, so you raised the capital, you got mm-hmm. to that point. And then it's the next step of like the full fit out, which how, how yeah. long was that process? And you guys, I th- again, you'd mentioned earlier in the interview, you saying that when you expand, go as big as possible because you don't want to be doing it again. So this was, yeah, this is that. <laughs> yeah. This, the scale you guys were going for, because I was really shocked when I saw it. You, you've gone from what were the size of your FVs that you went from and then to in, in the brewery now? So we had 11, 16, and two thirty fives at yeah. the last site, yeah. And now we've got twelve hundred and five, which is a fuckload of beer in the each one of those types. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are yeah, huge. Um, and was that just again? You just thought if we're going to do this, let's go big or go home. Absolutely, yeah. I I wanted a forever home. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't go through that sort of relocation again and the the finance required and all that stuff i just wanted to make a destination brewery the best we could mm-hmm. the motto is always no corners don't cut ever any corners ever so we do that as the best we can with what we've got available to us and that and you know, we could afford that so we went for it yeah and it was a big step man like yeah anyone listening to this like the going from something that is very hands-on a very you're very in touch with the beer at all times i guess in like older breweries because your your old brewery is very similar to kind of our brewery now um yeah. into something which is going to be much more efficient and much you're going to get a much better product out of it but it's a totally different style of brewing almost yeah i think be- luckily yeah absolutely i agree with that completely um we're not automated yet on the site again due to covid so I think another blessing from that is that everyone's learned how that brewery works by having to manually chase the, the liquid around. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I think everyone's learning a good process, which means that when we do get to automate the kit with SSV, they will automate it to the way we brew. Yeah. Right. Which is, a, yeah, a real bonus. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It's a, a different beast altogether. Yeah. And, and, and for these beers as well, like, and I think the, I mean, we haven't done it yet, but like the terrifying thing must be that like, you're going to brew a product that you've brewed on your old kit on a new kit and people are going to expect it to be the same or better. And that's, that's yeah. quite a lot of pressure to, to, to feel. Um, because it is actually, because you're learning. I'm you're totally that. learning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm You're feeling, feeling it that. right now. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the PTSD. Yeah. 
I try and stay off of socials as much as I can, but I do dive in and have a little look around. And people, you know, some people are saying we're not as good as we were before. I personally think the beers are different. Mm-hmm. I think I think some are better. Mm-hmm. Others haven't been as good. But what I am 100% confident in is that over the coming weeks, they're going to just get better and better. Like I'm really yeah. positive for next week's releases. Um, and the week after that, yeah, we're, we're nailing some processes. And the guys are working so hard at getting that right. And, yeah, there are going to be some bumps in the road with the beers but But don't you think it's funny is it this is there a sense of being the small guy becoming the big guy and like people being a bit like oh you know they've done this big rebrand not rebrand but like yeah and all this and yeah they're just not as good but without any kind of like factual i don't know i think most of our fans the the people that i've seen who've made a comment generally have been very kind and mm-hmm. they've emailed in and said look we've bought some beers we don't we tried it and we just don't think it's as good as it was from the previous site and we can have conversations with those guys and that's fine i'm not too worried about untapped yeah um the insta crew you know they get my back up from time to time <laughs> but you know we we have a few haters yeah so we have the people that just call us onion juice or or whatever, yeah. and I yes, just let that go. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, I had a can um, of even sharks the other day, and I think I messaged you because it was tasting yeah phenomenal. It was it was beautiful. I, that beer was brilliant. Yeah, I think yeah. James actually believes that to be the best batch we've ever made. Yeah, yeah. And I'm we've ha- and we've had people ever. email in saying that it's not as good as from the old site so, i think but people people do lose themselves in the story of things rather than the the actual because it's really hard yeah. to remember even what a, a, t- a beer tastes like the first time absolutely how do you remember you can't and, and all you're doing is like and man you can go super fucking into this but like even the circumstances that you drink that beer in are going to change your perception of taste so like Couldn't if you're at a festival more. and everyone's like whoa try this and you go whoa that's incredible and then you sit on your sofa and have it then it might taste totally different yeah i had some beer st mars of the desert yeah so i bought four cans of this i've never tried it and i tried a new england ipa and i hated it and i (laughs) I drain poured it and i was gutted and i drain poured it and then i had the second can around a, a bonfire in my garden and it blew me away that's so funny. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is absolutely brilliant. Oh, man. Well, Dan, Dan and, and Martha. time and place. Yeah. 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 Dan and Martha I had on, on the show. And because Dan's history with brewing is 30, 30 years in, in, yeah. in the depths of like the American kind of beer culture right at the start. It was, it was super fascinating speaking to him about it. And they brew in a totally different way to most people and produce. Really? Yeah. They just, you know, they have the cool shape and. Just Dan's okay. Dan's kind of like attitude towards brewing, and they're, they're like artists, they're like eccentric artists in this. Yeah, I love the vibes that come out. Oh, of that they're amazing, and they, it's just yeah. those two, and they work the tap room yeah. as well. Um, 
Yeah, they're a special, special kind of crew, those two, I think. I had uh, their Saison as well, and I think that is a reber of a beer he used to brew at an old brewery. What, Jack Doll, which is the yeah, yeah, pretty thing. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mate, if you sat down with Dan you and started drinking a few beers and chatting beer history, you would you could lose some hours. It's amazing. Nice. I'd like <laughs> to see that. So so back to the Verdant story. So the kit out for that new place was pretty long and Rich basically disappeared up there, didn't he? And had many sleepless nights. Spent like, yeah, a whole year there, yeah. Yeah, just kitting it out. So what was that feeling like? when you walked into that space to see it complete and know that, right. Oh man, it blew me. I was so proud. I think it's just pride Mm -hmm. and we'd actually done it. We achieved it and we got all the things that we said we would do. The only thing we haven't got is the tap room and yeah, that we're all so incredibly proud. I think bringing the team over was a filled us with pride. Mm-hmm. being able to offer that to the guys and say right come out of the blue box and you've got this to work on <laughs> i think they were scared um yeah, it's an intimidating thing to see absolutely yeah and i think it's so different to what they were used to and also yeah, like they, if you do make a mistake the the scale is on a different level now yeah it is um but we don't make mistakes. <laughs> you pros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that, that feeling, did you kind it's of have... pride, yeah. Yeah. Did you have a sense of, I, I go into so sentimental here, but did you have a sense of just like how far you've come to get to that point and just looking? Yeah, I still do. I still think about it. And it's really nice to think that I don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah. That's what I like. There's that almost a dead end here. We can still brew a lot more beer then. We can do other things. There's loads of projects that we want to do, but I don't have to worry about building a brewery. Yeah. Re- really nice. Yeah, feeling of permanence for once. Yeah, yeah. And turn that site into the home that I really want it to be and become a community space. Part, yeah. of, part, part of the local community. That's the, the plan. So I'm going to give you more uh, PTSD here, Adam, because <laughs> what should have been an absolute beautiful moment and accomplishment and excitement and fear and all of those kind of things kind of got flipped on its head when COVID came on the scene. Yeah. When because we got to so you, for those that don't know, you had a cannon line. And you needed to get that cannon line working. And to do that, to commission it, you needed engineers to come from... China. China. (laughs) (laughs) The central hub of the crisis. So you're in this stuck position of basically all pubs are going to close, which means that all draft lines are going to close. Your cannon line is not online because the engineers can't come from China. So what, we were keg only at that point. Yeah, you were keg only. So what? Yeah. Where was your head at at that point? Panic. It was terrifying. So we had one engineer, British guy, who was helping as much as he could. Essentially, it was a software issue, mm-hmm. and all the software was written in Chinese, and he had to use the Chinese WhatsApp thing in the middle of the night to talk to the engineers in China, they'd send him code. He'd have to translate it and then translate it back, put it into the system. 
It was a nightmare. It was horrible. But we got it sort of commissioned, yeah. maybe 24 hours before lockdown. Well, it was literally he had to go home because lockdown was the next day. So that engineer had to leave the site. And it it was running to a degree. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been running touch wood ever since. And if we didn't have Rich, I can tell you 100% it would not be running right now. <laughs> Just that I can't even begin to imagine the feeling of stress. Like you've gone through all of that and, again, should be a crowning moment to get that thing up and running. Yeah, a lot of joy sucked out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was a really emotional time anyway with lockdown. Yeah. Because all of a sudden we had to send all the staff home. Yeah. And sort of group together and figure out how to sort of navigate these waters. Yeah, because behind the scenes you'd been accumulating extra members of staff and stuff because obviously yeah. you're going to have much more work in, in the in the, brew, the new exactly, brew space yeah. and on a sales side as well. And people yep. have moved to Cornwall even to, to become part of the team. And then suddenly it's just a dead halt. Um, yeah. I really feel for Bill. <laughs> Literally moved to Cornwall and he's not been allowed to leave his house. For uh, the weather's been good on you by the sea though. So there's some, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some positives there, surely. Yeah. Um, but you got back up online and, and you were telling yes. me just before we started this, that obviously it's been way more work than what you would have what yeah. if it's fully automated and working in the correct manner but you you've managed to get back up online and i imagine that ugh, those first cans of the line felt like a real sigh of relief to just be able to yeah it was beautiful a yeah. beautiful moment and it's the first time we've produced that sort of volume yeah of of packaging so obviously it, when when it started we were 100% keg yeah and now through no fault of our own and it's 100% can mm-hmm. so we're, we're looking at the, these cans coming off the line I've never seen so much beer one product going into can it was that was a bit scary to think how the hell are we gonna shift eight pallets of one SKU do you know what I mean yeah <laughs> and also like because your hand the hand packaging side of all that kind of stuff is just like so labor intensive yeah, yeah. but um, you know like everyone felt the everybody's appetite for beer did not go away yeah it, it well and, uh, kind of increased i guess in some ways i did yeah i think it did um and the web shop just went bananas which brought its own set of challenges and <laughs> you know Cornwall's geographically challenged so yeah especially falmouth out on a limb so yeah we are geographically challenged and moving stuff around isn't easy yeah, so I think so, someone asked me in an interview, like, what the biggest challenge is of working in a brewery and stuff. And it's just like every day, every day, there's something that will yeah. pop its head up and get in the way or just suck the life out of the room, especially when you've been like, <laughs> especially when you've just been feel like you've been making so much progress and everything yeah. is a singing and then suddenly something will happen uh, that could just change that in an instant. Um, and, and you can't you, preempt it ever. Yeah. So, yeah, you just have to be on your toes, I think. Having a good team around you that can manage that level of kind of change mm-hmm. is really, really important. We're blessed with that. But, you know, we've got a lot of people in there now. Yeah, your team. So, that's this. So, again, this episode, 
more than any other episode, I wanted to kind of highlight that journey because like I've repeated a few times, but you were two guys from a kitchen stove to, I don't know how many members of uh, staff you have now. Uh, full-time members of staff is about 19. So 19 members of staff, yeah. a, multi, well, a million pound brew house, all the bells and whistles. And you got there, man. Yeah, we did it, didn't we? It's, it's insane. I, I've said <laughs> yeah. it to you. I've said it to you a few times at, uh, at beer festivals, where I'm just like hand on your shoulder, just like, mate. You, you know, you are a super chill dude, and to to yeah. have a beer with and all of that kind of stuff. But the drive it must have taken to to really push Verdant to where it is now is, you know, like saying in other businesses, it would be they'd be writing articles in the Financial Times about it or something like that. It's a uh, it's the success story. Yeah. yeah. I think the the biggest challenge it's posed to us has been to f- our families. I think, and yeah. like we have we have given Verdant a hundred percent of our time, attention, and love for five years. Yeah, and I get that feels nice now that we've got a good enough team around us that stepping back a bit is possible. Mm-hmm. and there was a lot of uh, traveling like festivals and oh, all man, to, get, yeah. to get your name out yeah. there it's yeah. a lot of weekends away and on the face of it i know everyone's just like oh you get to travel to beer festivals all over the world and stuff and yeah. it, it is awesome in many in many respects but also it comes with its own challenges and like you say with family and and things like that it's a lot to leave and falmouth where it is there's no drive to leeds it's a flight or yeah absolutely yeah we we have to kill the planet to get anywhere to get anywhere uh, yeah. <laughs> um, um but, but you got there man and yeah so, well, you know what covid is again another silver lining i think it's made a lot of people with definitely us realize that maybe the calendar is too full I and not moving more. around for the last three months has been really nice I, I I mean, I was the guy who was doing all of the traveling for us pretty much. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, for a good, there was, a, I think it was like a nine week period where I was away every weekend and then back in on a Monday. Um, yeah. And I think for us as a brewery as well, we, we did a lot of collaborations and a lot of festivals and stuff and having three months to just really focus in and bring everything back it's in been and, great. And, yeah. and just hone our skills and, yeah, just more focus, I guess, has been it's been beneficial, really beneficial. Yeah, and I think it's it will become when the events start popping up again, it will be selective. So it's time again for another terrible pun. Where do we go from beer? This is just to try and get a little bit of how people who are in the industry see it moving in the next few years whether that's political or on the brewing side or yeah just how a brewery functions in today's society you are listening to track brewing co presents the first time and this is our interview with adam robertson so from this point now like all of that out of the way uh how do you see the next year shaping up for breweries in general and beer in general like we've had a real kind of surge over the last five years um six years and now it sits at this kind of like interesting point it's become you know like Mm. tesco shelves are packed full of different breweries 
on a political side, you know, like Cloudwater have been at real at the forefront of like what is a brewery in a community supposed to be, what yes. what it's supposed to act. And I just wondered what your take on all that was. I believe that a brewery should be at the heart of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally believe that they should be active politically, but I don't believe that you need to actively push that out across your social channels. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't dismiss anyone's silence for not giving a shit or of not caring. I think you can do most of your work at a local level. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that shouting at the prime minister on Twitter helps anything really. Um you know, he's not listening. It's it's Quite somebody obviously. else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So working local level and that's what the plan for us it was meant to be in started already. The tap room, when that opens, is going to be my my focus. Yeah, on get, getting us embedded in Penryn and Falmouth community, and just allowing people to use that space, have it as a, a resource. Yeah, and, and enjoy it, and come and make the most of it, and feel welcome. I think. Yeah, I think that's again. I, I can only. Uh echo those sentiments really like that that sense of community that has driven us forward and got us to the place we are we are there yeah. to serve and make sure that they feel like the environment that we set is is one of like openness um yeah yeah and inclusivity and diverse and yeah but Col- Col- yeah cornwall's been like a big focus of yours because obviously it's 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 a it's a very different county to most it's it's quite sparse yeah. it's not yeah. huge amounts of employment um no it's massively underpopulated massively underpopulated and you really want to kind of build you know a, a home for verdant there and get the beer on taps at the local bars and stuff and i wonder how yeah. how those conversations have been with like local accounts and things because it is a new style for a lot of places especially in cornwall like, it's not necessarily got its finger on the culture pulse as uh yeah. Lydia, who does our local sales, has got a job cut out for her. It's, um, it's a different world, I'll be honest. It's like not a world that we're really used to in sales. So most of the pubs down here want us to own the line for them. Yeah. So we will have to either have to install one or rent it off them and manage that line. And they want a lot from us as a brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we need to look at a bit better, I think, and harder and see what we can offer them. Because um, obviously Lydia can't do spend four hours at one pub. Fit in an individual to... line or... Yeah. yeah. So we have, have a third party to do that. But it costs. And then, um, yeah, but it, it's going okay. The beer in Cornwall is getting more and more known. Yeah. I mean, it's got some, it's got some like quite strong brewing history down there and you know St. Austin. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And uh it was Doombar founded in Sharps, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Sharps down there. Um but yeah it's 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 definitely different to you know living in a kind of like uh cosmopolitan city as my I say, system. Yeah, I guess Lydia sits with Bill, right? So Bill's selling beer to the rest of the country and he just needs to ask them how much they want. And they say, we'll take that. And Lydia calls the pub up and they're like, who? (laughs) (laughs) 
what can you give me what can you give me for free if yeah. i buy four do i get a free one yeah the old that's the old school mentality of yeah we, we used to get that at the start people like i can buy a firkin for 50 quid from so and so and we're like okay yeah, yeah we can't yeah. really do that <laughs> okay adam yeah. i mean thanks so much for sharing that story because i think that people will oh, be really pleasure, interested man. and it's been really cool again for me i kind of knew it all along but to just to just feel yeah that uh excitement and then the tragedy it's like a shakespearean uh, play <laughs> ups and downs yeah. so if we're going to bring this kind of thing to an end um i kind of alluded to what this would be which is yeah that beer that that you could drink the the, the final beer that you would like or just any beer in the world it may have been brewed before or it may be one of your own or it might be something that you would just like to come up with yourself but if you just sit down crack a bottle or a can of it uh what would it be I'm going to say, oh, it's a hard question. I'm going to say, okay, it's Crispy Little by Suarez. Wow. Something not, it's not, it's hoppy. It's not too hoppy. It's almost a lager. It's not a lager. It's probably quite wheaty, but, you know, crisp, refreshing, great aroma, good, good hot balance, a crusher. Oh. I wish yeah. I could drink that right now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, Adam, thank yeah. you so much. And again, man, you should be so proud of what you've achieved down there. It's incredible. And I know it's come with uh, stress and an incredible amount of hard work. Um, but it's on the up from now on. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Really appreciate it, Steph. <laughs> oh, it's always a pleasure. Thank I you. hope to uh, see you for a beer. It's a shame. Obviously, yeah. Little Summer Beer Bash, that was always the highlight of the year next year man next year it's going to be a special one next year for sure yeah all right dude thank you so much much love to you brother cheers brother there we are that's it episode six done i hope you enjoyed that one man that episode is exactly why i wanted to start this thing just to dive into the stories and really get scope for how Verdict came to be. Just a chance meeting at a five-a-side football game between two people interested in homebrew has now gone on to be this big multi-million pound brewery who've produced some of the finest liquid uh, that the UK beer scene has right now. And yeah, I just thought it was an amazing story and I, I knew little bits of it, but I didn't know the whole thing. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And as I said in the introduction, I really wanted to shine a light on the entrepreneurial aspect of the brewing scene because I don't think it gets that much attention and it is something to be heralded that people can just, from a chance meeting, build this incredible business in such a short amount of time. And Verdant have done that and they've done it so well. And all the guys down there are awesome. They've got such a great team, super talented. Um, and I can't wait to go down and see that new facility. Maybe see you all down there at uh, Little Summer Beer Bash 2021, yeah, a year away. If you have been enjoying the episodes as well, please feel free to drop us a review and a comment, maybe even your first time on there. It's always cool to read those. And yeah, we will be back next week. This is Track Brewing Co. Presents The First Time. Thank you for listening. And as ever, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.